learn from there. Uh, we see very evident and apparent in our day, and um, really are looking forward to uh, the things that are written there. And uh, I don't know about you all, but uh, I can't wait to see my Savior face to face. I wonder what He looks like. You know, I know the Bible gives some description, but uh, you, you don't know until you see Him face to face. Could you imagine that first few moments, the first, first few seconds, if you will, uh, in heaven, getting to see Him? And, uh, you know, I know we have a great love for Him now. I know our hearts are, are thrilled uh, with the fact that He has been our Savior and the sacrifice that He had for us on Calvary. But boy, can you imagine that moment where we get to be able to come to Him I hope and I pray that He'll let us just throw our arms around Him. Somebody wrote years ago, After all He's done for me, after all He's done for me, how can I do less than give Him my best and live for Him completely after all He's done for me? And I hope we all feel that way. You know, Paul said, The love of Christ constrains me. I hope we don't ever serve in the Christian life. I hope we don't ever live the Christian life because we feel like we have to. I hope we get the privilege to do it. I hope our hearts are so thrilled with what God has done that we look at it as a great honor and a great opportunity to be able to share the love that we have for Him back to Him and to seek to please Him. If you will, take your Bibles. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter number 2. And we're going to read just the first two verses, if you will. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye may be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Father, I pray that You would help us this morning uh, to deliver the message of Your Word to the hearts of folks that are here. I pray that Your Holy Spirit would work in a way that I cannot. And Lord, You know and understand very much my heart, the knowledge I have that there's not anything that I can say to do any work in the hearts of men, but Your Holy Spirit can do great things. And Your Word can do great things. And we ask this morning that You would help us to, as we leave here today, rejoice having spent time in the presence of both of them. That Your Holy Spirit will have free reign in our hearts and that Your uh, Word will be able to teach and instruct. That paired with the working of the Holy Spirit in us, conviction will be brought. That we will be able to understand things that uh, will help us to become more Christ-like in our lives. I pray that You would guide and direct our thoughts. May we not do anything today that would be an embarrassment or reproach to You. I pray that You would help us to glorify You in all that we say and all that we do this morning through the preaching of Your Word. So empower us and direct our steps. Give illumination and light, understanding to the teaching of Your Word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul speaks here of uh, this consolation in Christ. And I, I love this idea that... Uh, 
the Bible said, and Jesus was teaching when he was in his earthly ministry, uh, of uh, the rich and, and how difficult it is for them to get into their kingdom of heaven. He spoke of the rich man and Lazarus. And, uh, and he talks often of those that are trusting in their riches, that are satisfied with living their life, um, with just the cares of this life on their heart and on their mind. He speaks of the fact that they have their consolation in this life. But the truth is, we as God's people, those of us that have trusted Him as our Savior, look for a consolation that is yet to come. And there's a wonderful truth that is taught here, I think, as Paul speaks in chapter number 2. I was reading Charles Spurgeon uh, this week on uh, some thoughts that he had on Philippians chapter 2 as we came across this text. And uh, he made a, a mention of the fact, and I'd never really given any thought to this, but he said, you know, Adam in his fallen state could not understand this word. There was no need for consolation before the fall of man. And then when the fall happened and he was in the greatest need of it, God began to give him a glimmer of understanding what consolation was. And his greatest need, not knowing where to turn or how to respond and seeing the hopelessness of the situation, God gave to him the promise of a deliverer, a redeemer that was to come, that would forgive men of their sins and take the penalty of sin away. And the consolation that came to Adam's heart, I think for the very first time, was such a sweet thing in the understanding of this. But Paul speaks of several things here in verse 1. He says, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, he's getting ready to make his statement, and he's laying a prerequisite to it. He's throwing a case to us. Something similar to what he did in Romans chapter number 12, where he said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, and then he throws this phrase in there, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. His request was that, they submit their bodies or yield their bodies, give their bodies as a living sacrifice. And before he said that, he said, listen, I'm going to beseech you and I'm going to lay this out to you that I'm asking you this because of what God has done for you. As we get to Philippians chapter 2, we find the thing that he's asking for in verse number 2. Let's look and see what that is. He says, fulfill ye my joy that ye may be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Paul is expressing here that his desire is for the church at Philippi to fulfill his joy. Uh, We're living in a world that is starving for true joy. They are looking for it in every place except the place they ought to. I uh, got a phone call uh, last week, and a young person, young adult out out, out of state that called me and said, "I'm I'm just not happy. Just not happy. I, I I thought when I got to this point I'd be happy. I thought when I got this and I and you know these are things that that I've dreamed of and that I've longed for and now they're here, and I'm not happy. I said because you're looking for them in the wrong place. You're not going to church like you ought. You're not you're not you're not following the things of the Lord like you ought. You're not pursuing after that. I said here's the problem. You're looking for things to bring contentment. And things will never bring contentment. Only a person brings great contentment. I said, what you need to do first is learn to be content. And then these things will be added unto us. There'll be something else. In fact, Jesus taught that, didn't He? In Matthew chapter number 6, He said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things. And He spoke of these things prior to that verse as the things of life. What am I going to eat? What am I going to wear? Where am I going to live? What am I going to do? 
uh, he, he speaks of those things. He says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. That's the first priority. And all these things shall be added unto you. And the joy comes not in things. Have you ever noticed that? I, I don't know. We're living in a world that, that is so materialistic. We think, well, if I could just have this, I'd be happy. And there might be pleasure of, of those things for a while and for till the newness wears off. But uh, all of us can relate to the time that maybe when we were kids or maybe as we become parents, we did for this for our kids. We bought them some, some present for Christmas or birthday, and they played with it for five minutes, and then it went in the corner somewhere, and they had more fun with the box than they did with the present. Because things do not bring contentment. They don't bring joy in the Christian life. Paul says this. He says, I want you to fulfill my joy. And I began to think on that as I was looking at this passage. I thought... What was Paul's joy? What was it that thrilled his heart? What was it that gave him the great joy and satisfaction in life? Was it the fact that he had things and and material possessions? I I don't think that was it. Paul learned this. He said, "I, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. He spoke of the fact that there were times that there were... uh, Great things going on in his life. There were no needs and things were going well. <coughs> but there were other times where he was beaten and put into the prisons. He was stoned. He was in shipwrecks. And he said, I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be what? Content. Why? Because he learned that contentment didn't come from his circumstances. It didn't come from things. Where did his joy come from? You know where Paul's greatest joy came from? It was in seeing God's work, His transforming, miraculous work, bearing fruit in the hearts of men. You say, how do you know that? Well, let's look back a little bit in chapter number 1. Let's look in chapter number 1, and let's look in verse number 27. First, uh, Philippians chapter 1 and verse number 27. He says, only let your conversation, that's, that's speaking there of your lifestyle, not the words that you say, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. In other words, your life ought to to look like the gospel of Christ. It ought to reflect this. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that ye stand fast, notice this, in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. What does that sound like? That sounds like somebody who was a lost sinner who got saved, that God did a transforming work in their life and caused them to bear fruit in their life for the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice what he says in verse number 28, "...and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God." He says, I want you to do these things. I don't want you to be afraid of the persecution that may come. These things that may come along and torment you or terrify you this. And he tells them, because it's given unto you, in verse 29, uh, on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on Him, but to suffer for His sake. This was where Paul got his joy. It was not in things, but it was in God doing a work in the hearts of people. What an amazing thought here. As he gets to verse number... Uh, uh, Chapter number 2 and verse number 1, he says this, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, what is this consolation in Christ that he speaks of here? The consolation that we get by knowing that we're saved, that we've been bought with a price. 
that the Lord Jesus Christ, and according to Romans chapter number 5, commended His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The, the consolation that the Bible says He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The consolation we have that says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Can I tell you this? We who were lost and dead in our trespasses and sin, and were hopelessly condemned, and were not able to save ourselves, take great consolation in that, do we not? If there be any consolation in Christ, notice what else he says here, if any comfort of love... These are some wonderful phrases that are used. Uh, Spurgeon wrote this. He said, "Consolation is the dropping of gentle of the gentle dew from heaven on desert hearts beneath." Boy, what an amazing statement! Consolation is the dropping of the gentle dew from heaven on desert hearts beneath. True consolation, such as can reach the heart, must be one of the choicest gifts of divine mercy. And surely we are not erring from sacred Scripture when we avow that in its full meaning, consolation can be found nowhere save in Christ, who has come down from heaven and who has again ascended to heaven to provide strong and everlasting consolation for those whom He has bought with His blood. Can I tell you, those of us that have been saved, we certainly have consolation that comes from Christ. It's interesting to note this. The Bible says when he was, uh, Jesus said when he was, when he was to leave that he was going to send another comforter. And isn't it interesting that while the Holy Spirit does the comforting, it's Christ who is the comfort. It's amazing that the work of the Holy Spirit is to take the work of Christ and apply it to our lives. To bring the consolation, to bring the great joy. Somebody said it this way, that the Holy Spirit is the physician and Christ is the medicine. The application of it to our lives. He says this, not only if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if we have trusted Christ as our Savior, if we have taken advantage of this wonderful consolation of salvation. He goes on to say, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love. I love the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ, even though He is absolute holiness. And John said it this way, in Him is no darkness And then he adds these two words, just in case we were wondering, at all. (laughs) There is no darkness in Christ. He is absolute perfect. He is absolute holiness. He is absolute righteousness. And and to think this, that that holy, just God, that God of heaven that, that has no darkness in Him at all, has a desire to fellowship with sinful man. Can you imagine that? What an amazing truth. His desire is to fellowship with us. I, I, was, I was looking at some things and some notes on this, and one writer wrote this. He says, Jesus delights in communing and fellowshipping with His children. In Abraham, on the plains of Mamre, He appeared as a pilgrim to a pilgrim. He wanted to relate to the Abraham and to come to him and to have that time of fellowship with him. To Moses in the burning bush, he appeared even while his own people were being burned but not consumed by the tyranny of Egypt. Boy, what a great picture as he comes as the burning bush. To Jacob, he came as the wrestler to wrestle with with Jacob who was the wrestler. To Joshua, he was the leader of the captain of of the Lord's hosts. 
to Joshua, who was the leader of Israel's troops, to the three Hebrew boys. He didn't come as their king or as their outside deliverer. He came as one that was walking with them in the fire. Why? Because of the great comfort of love that He brings to us. The desire that He has to commune and to fellowship with us. To mankind. Notice what it says here in Philippians chapter number 2. Verse number 6, the Bible says this, "...who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God." That's his position. "...but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a what? Servant, and was made in the likeness of man." Somebody wrote years ago, "...when I could not come to where he was, he came to me." Paul understood this truth. That we have great consolation in the gift that Christ gives us through salvation. We have great comfort in the love that He expresses for us. Because more than we long to have communion with Him, He longs to have communion with us. Oh, what an amazing Savior. Only God could be someone like that. I'll be real honest with you. There's some people I like, and then there's some people I don't like. And by the way, I tell people all the time, I only pick on people I like and people I don't like. So if I pick on you, you're one of those two. But, you know, here's the thing. There are people that, even in our families, we love, we love our families because they're our family, but there's sometimes we don't like them very well. I'm thankful that the God of heaven longs and loves us so much. That He longs to be with us. And when we, when we are not lovable, when, when we're straying from Him, even when we are stiff-necked and opinionated and rebellious in our own nature, His desire is still to be with us. I heard somebody say one time, you love your family. There's some that you want, you know, you'll cry at their funeral, but you don't want them to go on vacation with you because you don't like them very much. Can I tell you this? The Lord Jesus Christ loves us so much that He longs for us to be with Him. He longs for us to be with Him. He, he longs for the time of close communion and fellowship. By the way, isn't it amazing that when He created Adam and Eve and put them in the Garden of Eden, He came to walk with them in the cool of the day. And when man sinned, God's heart broke. We've said so many times, even in studying in the Revelation, God takes no joy in judging mankind. He must because He's a just God, but He takes no joy in it. God's joy is to hear that His children walk in truth. God's joy is to see a sinner come and trust Him as their Savior. In the parable of the sheep, out of the hundred sheep there were, when one sheep was astray, the shepherd went to go find him. And they found the one. There was great rejoicing. The Bible says there is rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that, can, that, that repents and comes to Christ. Paul said, if there be any consolation in Christ, and we certainly know there is, if there be any comfort in the love that He has for us, in this love that Christ has, if there be any comfort in love, notice this, if there be any fellowship of the Spirit. Boy, isn't that a wonderful one? 
It's the Spirit's job, His role, to console and to cheer the hearts of God's people. He brings conviction of sin. He certainly illuminates and instructs us in His Word. The Bible teaches those things. But His main part, when Jesus spoke of sending Him, He didn't say, I'm going to send you another teacher or instructor. He didn't say, I'm going to bring you another convictor. He said, what? I'm going to bring you another comforter. I'm thankful that the Holy Spirit convicts. I am. I don't like it, but it's needful, and I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful that He instructs me and illuminates the truth of His Word to me. But you know what I'm most grateful for? Is that His main work is to make glad my heart. To bring comfort. To bring peace. To bring joy. That's His main work. Why is it that we struggle so much against Him? Why is it that if that is His main objective in my life, that I am not nearly as sensitive to His working in me as He should, as I should be? What a wonderful thought. And Paul understands this. He says, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, then he uses a peculiar statement that we don't talk about very often. He says, if any bowels and mercies. Today we, we use a different terminology when we express our, our love, our compassion. Oftentimes I tell my mom or my family members, I'll say, I love you with all my heart. We use the word heart today. But in Bible times, the emotions were referred to as the bowels. It was the, 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 the idea of loving so much that it almost hurt. The groaning of the heart was considered to be the bowels. The, the, the absolute love, the unfathomable love, that even words could not be put into place to express it. It could only be expressed through the groans of a person. And oftentimes were referred to as the bowels. He said this in verse 2, If any bowels and mercies, speaking of the absolute compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ, and compassion is different than love. Compassion is love that has moved to action. Compassion is something that you love someone so much that you do something as a result of it. God didn't just love us from a far off distant place called heaven. God didn't create us and put us on this earth and then sit back as an observer. God looked at us and He created us and put us on this earth with the desire to interact and to fellowship with us. And when that fellowship was broken, the love was so great that He gave us mercy. Paul said, if these things happen, if you are the recipient of Christ's consolation, if you're the recipient of His comfort that's given to you by His love, if you're the one that has partaken of the fellowship of the Holy Spirit in your life, if you're the one that has had 
the bowels of the Lord Jesus Christ love you so much that He has given you His mercy. And He said, Fulfill you my joy. Fulfill you my joy. This message, while written to the church at Philippi, is a message, I believe, that is given to every Christian. If these things have happened in our lives, then we have the same constraining work going on in our hearts to cause us to do the same things that were going to bring joy to the heart of the Apostle Paul. Let's see what they are. In verse number 2, he says this, Fulfill you my joy, that ye may be, notice this, first of all, he says, like-minded. Having the same love being of one accord and being of one mind. Paul's joy was not in things. We started off the message with this. Paul's joy was in seeing the work of God, the transforming, miraculous work of God, take place in the hearts of people. Hold your place here for just a moment. I want us to look at a couple of things. We're going to come right back to Philippians chapter number 2 in just a moment. But look with me, if you will, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2. Let's look down in verse number 20. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2 and verse 20. Very short verse. In fact, let's let's read verse 19 because it, it goes along with it. For what is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? For ye are our glory and joy. He's speaking there to God's people. Those that were going to be there and that were going to be in the presence of Christ at His coming. Paul said, y'all are my joy. Seeing what God is doing in your life, that's what brings joy. Look in 2 Corinthians chapter number 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Let's look in verse number 3. And I wrote this same unto you, lest when I came I should have sorrow from them of whom I ought to rejoice, having confidence in you all that my joy... It's the joy of you all. He said, my joy is to see that your joy is full. To have the joy of you all. That's my joy. To see God doing the work in your life. He specifies those words in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 2. As he says that ye be like-minded, this is one thing that if we are to be like-minded, is only going to be because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ in our hearts. I oftentimes have an opportunity, or several times over the years, have had opportunity to counsel with folks. It's interesting, especially in relationships, a husband, wife, or, or a couple that uh, are getting ready to get married, we love one another. And I speak of the importance of Christ being the very center of their relationship. Before their children, Christ must be first. Before their spouse, Christ must be first. 
I've often used the illustration, I, I will draw a, a, a circle on, on the piece of paper. I'll say Christ is always going to be the center. He never gives His glory up. He's always steadfast. He's unmovable. He's always going to be the same, yesterday, today, and forever. He's established. He's a rock. He's something we can anchor to. What moves and what drifts in this world are you and I. And I put, I have them each put a mark on the piece of paper just indicating who, you know, where they are. And they'll put a mark and a mark, and I'll say, okay, now what happens if this one moves closer to the Lord Jesus Christ and this one moves closer to the Lord Jesus Christ? What happens to the distance between them? And the light bulb turns on, and they realize when I grow closer to Christ, I grow closer to my spouse. Or the one that I love. Paul said this, that the joy that he had is when they would become like-minded. Can I tell you the only way that you and I are going to come to a place of being like-minded is if each of us draw closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, Pastor, how do you know that? Because the Bible tells us this. Look what the Bible says in verse number 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in your friend, your acquaintance, your spouse. What does your Bible say? Let this mind be in you, which was also in what? Christ Jesus. Paul understood this, that in order for them to be like-minded, they would need to both have the mind of Christ. Are any of you here stubborn? Quit pointing at your husbands, wives. (laughs) As for you, are you stubborn? You know what happens when we want to become like-minded? We want other people to agree with us. That's what we usually mean. I want somebody to see it my way. That's not what Paul's speaking of here. He's wanting there to be a like-mindedness that is the mind of Christ. Notice he says this also in verse 2, having the same love. Can I tell you this? If you and I are going to have the same love... It's only going to be through the Lord Jesus Christ. Are we beginning to see kind of a common thread that takes place in these? For you see, I love certain things that maybe you don't love and vice versa. And if my love is going to be the same, then it has to be something that we love together. And that can only come through the Lord Jesus Christ. I've got to love Him, by the way. You've got to love Him. And when you love Him and I love Him, guess what? We're loving the same thing. You say, well, will I never have an argument with another Christian? No, I'm not saying that. But you're going to have a love for the same thing. You're going to have a desire for it. Notice what else he says here. Fulfill you my joy that you may be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. What an amazing truth that Paul speaks of here. If there be any consolation in Christ, we would go around the room. I think most folks here would say, Christ has given me consolation. I trust in Him as my Savior. He's given great peace to my life. If any comfort of love, I certainly believe we've all been partakers of that. If any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, He says, fulfill you my joy. 
fellow by the name of Edward Moat a number of years ago was sitting in his study. He was a preacher of the gospel. He had not been raised in a godly home. His mom and dad were certainly not uh, fans of the things of the Lord. He didn't, they didn't raise him in church. But as a young man, he became apprenticed to a cabinet maker. And this cabinet maker was a godly man and presented Christ to him. And as a young man, Edward Moat trusted Christ as his Savior and in later years would oftentimes preach the gospel. One day he was sitting in his office doing some study, and a phrase came to his heart. The phrase was this, On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. He went through the day that day and couldn't get that thought out of his mind. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. As he got to a place where he wasn't so busy and walking through his day and going through things, he sat down and picked up a piece of paper and a pen. He began to write some things. And this is what he wrote. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. When darkness veils His lovely face, I'll rest on His unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. His oath, His covenant, His blood support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, He then is all my hope and stay. When He shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in Him be found, dressed in His righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. And he ended it by saying, all other ground is sinking sand. We sing that song today. And I often wonder if Edward Mote understood a little bit of what Paul was saying. If there's any consolation in Christ, if there's any comfort of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if there are any bowels and mercies, Fulfill you my joy. I wonder as God's people, are we doing the things that fulfilled the joy of the Apostle Paul? Are we like-minded? Do we have a, a same love? Something we love together? Are we of one accord? Of one mind? I, I, I hope and pray that as God's people, we will learn to allow the work of the Holy Spirit to bear fruit in our life and to help us fulfill the joy, not just of the Apostle Paul, but of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. I want nothing more than to please Him. When I get to heaven, I don't want Him to stand there looking at me saying, Oh, what a disappointment. I want to be able to stand there and Him to say, Well done, how good and faithful servant. What are, we, what are we leaning on today? Do we reflect on the things that God has done for us? Do we look at the life 
of the Christian life as something that we're constrained by our love for Him? Or do we live it because we feel like we have to? Do we, do we look at it and say, well, I guess I better? Or do we truly understand what Christ has done for us? And out of great joy, say, I want to live for Him. I want to live for Him. Let's stand together, shall we? And just a, a simple message today to remind us of the goodness of God. With heads bowed and eyes closed, in just a moment we'll have a verse of invitation. If God's spoken to your heart, we'll give opportunity for that. Father, we do pray that you'll bless the message. Lord, it's really been a message of trying to encourage the hearts of your people. Lord, sometimes we have messages that prick our hearts. Some of them step on our toes sometimes. 